realize every Sunday this is what we desire, but I realize, you know, we have we have minds that have been thinking certain ways that maybe don't match your word. And every every Sunday I'm mindful of the fact that we need to conform our thinking <clears throat> and our acting to your word. And that requires a moving of the Spirit in us. We can't do it on our own. And so I ask that this morning that you would move in us. You would change things in us. You would encourage us or rebuke us or whatever it is you want to say to us. But that we would be open to it. We thank you for this time in your word. It's wonderful and marvelous and it gives us, it gives us words of life. And so we thank you for it right now. In Christ's name. Amen. Good morning again. Uh, <clears throat> I had notes prepared for the overheads, but there was a technical glitch, so you're not going to see those this morning. I highly recommend having a bulletin in front of you. Um, that would be wonderful. Uh, if you don't have a bulletin, maybe you stick your hand up and we'll have an usher get one to you. Um, that'll help you follow along. <clears throat> This is Sanctity of Life uh, Sunday for us here at Three Lakes Church. Uh, the National Sanctity of Life Sunday is January 20th. However, next week's our week of prayer. So uh, I, I didn't want to miss the opportunity to talk about issues of life and how that impacts us in the church and in this country. Um, I, I believe strongly in that. So we are talking about that this morning. Um, <clears throat> I once preached on this uh, in in Watoma when I was there, and after preaching on life and preaching on issues that relate to abortion and, and other things, uh, there was a woman that came up to me afterwards, and she spoke to me about the message, and I could tell she was moved by it, and she said, uh, in my youth I had an abortion, and I've had to work through healing through that, and I'll tell you, this is a woman that, I mean, I didn't know this about her, but this is a woman that I admired a lot. I think a lot of her, and I still do. And she said to me, she said, if anyone comes up to you this morning and, and needs someone to talk to about this issue, I will talk to them and, and try to help them work through processing that action of, of aborting a child. I will help them. And I just want you to know, before I say anything else about the Scripture, that, that if, if that's your past, if that's your history, there's no condemnation coming from me. Just, just so you can hear that from me. You know, there's no condemnation here for those that are in Christ Jesus. If you've asked for forgiveness, that stuff is washed away. And so I think nothing less of that woman that came up to me. In fact, I think so, so highly of her that if anyone came up to me even today, I think she would talk to them. I think she, she'd talk to you on the phone about it, you know, and try to work through some of this stuff. And I'd recommend that. So just so you know, that's where I'm coming from when I talk about issues like this that I fully understand are difficult. I get that. But there's no condemnation here for those that are forgiven in Christ Jesus. So if you would look in Psalm chapter 8, that's where we're going this morning. Uh, we read it once together. I want to read it once more myself. Psalm chapter 8, if you're in a uh, pew Bible, that is page uh, 386. This is a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. 
You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. There's a repeated phrase in Psalm 8. It starts that way and it ends that way. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This psalm is about the majesty of God. I'm preaching on it in relation to matters of life and and, and the pro-choice movement in America. But just so we're clear, this is about the greatness of God. That's what this psalm is about. It's about David Maybe he's outside on a starry night and he's, and he's looking up and just saying, why do you care about me? You made all of this and there's all of these people on the planet. Why do you care so much about me? I don't get it. And, and he's thinking about all these things. He's thinking about the fact that God put all the stars in the sky and he has no hope of counting them. He's thinking about all the animals that he knows of, all the beasts of the field, and he says, we're in charge of them. And, and, and he's just marveling about it. The greatness of God. So, so as we read Psalm 8, I just want us to keep in mind that we're talking about the greatness of God here and how that relates to God's concern for every single human life. But the topic is the greatness of God. Everything is seen in relation to that. As David thinks about it, he says in verse 2, From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When we did the responsive reading this morning, you might have noticed there was a word difference here. The the ESV version shows it. I'll point it out to you. Uh, From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. It can be more, maybe more rightly translated, strength. That's the word for strength. Okay, the NIV is trying to smooth this out and they're thinking, what's coming out of the mouth of children and infants? Children and infants don't have strength coming out of their mouth. They have praise coming out of their mouth. So the NIV is trying to help you understand where this is going, but literally the word in Hebrew is strength. And that's why we had the responsive reading this morning. You could see that the word is strength. Um, Children and infants oppose evil in the world. We know something that a lot of America doesn't know. That kids oppose evil. There's something about children and the noise that they make that God uses against evildoers. Hence, this sermon is called Kids Are Like Superheroes. They fight evildoers. Stick a cape on them. That's what they do because God wants them to do that. God has chosen something weak 
and defenseless often and said, I want to use something weak and defenseless to fight evil in the world today. So having less kids means less of a chance to restrain evil. God uses children. Kids are like superheroes. My kids are probably going to tell me that all day long. And, and Brain will dress up like Batman afterwards and we'll see how it goes. Um, kids praise. Kids, what comes out of kids' mouth is strength. Do you, do you remember singing? I, when I read this, I get the picture of like kids in Sunday school. And you sing songs that are childish and yet profoundly true, right? One of my favorites. Um, I sang this one. Did you sing this one? My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, For you, right? Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I grew up singing that, and yet today... In January of 2013, I need to know that. I need to believe that. Because I have things in my life that, that I need to know God is big enough to handle. And I have been singing this since I'm a kid. And, and so there's something about even hearing your kids sing the songs that you sang when you were little, and you're just reminded these things are true. And my kids believe this. Do I believe God's that big? Am I that sure about the whole, this whole thing? There's something about kids that opposes evil in the world. If you want to see how this worked itself out in Jesus' life, I think you have on your notes Matthew 21.15. When Jesus rode the donkey into Jerusalem and the people were crying, Hosanna! He comes into the temple and as you know, He sees the money changers He's filled with anger over the fact that they're ripping people off and his house should be a house of prayer and you're turning it into a den of thieves. So he's overturning tables and all this is all going on. Look at Matthew 21, 15. It says, But when the chief priests and teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, They were indignant. The adults don't get it. They're too smart for their own good. And so they say, Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked Him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? Wow! You know, gotcha! (laughs) Um, Haven't you read that God ordains praise in children? And these kids were opposing the evil of, of the leaders of the religious institutions of the day. The kids were. How does this practically work itself out in our life? Um, I was considering this this week. How does, how does what our kids do really oppose evil? If you're in a community group, that's one of your questions. But I'll offer you a few that I thought of as I was meditating on this verse this week. Kids reveal God's ability to create life in the noise that they make. I mean, what is the first thing you want to hear when that child is born? What's the first thing you want to hear? You want to hear crying. What's the last thing you want to hear two weeks later at 3 a.m.? Crying. But, but, the first thing you want to hear when that baby is delivered is crying. 
because it signals the sound of life. And there's something about the sounds that a baby makes that opposes evil in the world. It shows that God has the ability to create new life, whereas we as people have, have made it very easy to destroy life. Okay? Abortion does that. Abortion destroys life. And God reminds us, though, that He is in the business of creating life and giving new life. And He's against things that destroy life. When kids cry, I never knew how selfish I was until I had children. I never knew I had an anger problem until I had children. You too? (laughs) Um, There's something about children that points out the selfishness in my own heart. I want to sleep through the night. Christy, you get up with them. I don't want to, you know? (laughs) I got stuff to do tomorrow. No, but it points out the evil in my heart and the self-centeredness of my heart that I need to give myself to my children and serve them because they are defenseless and they're crying and saying, I need something. And if your kids have colic like one of mine did, you're just like, what do I do for you? I don't know. All I can do is try to patiently hold you, change your diaper a million times and, and feed you more. I don't know, but there's something going on and it means I can't be selfish anymore. I've got to give myself to you in a loving way. And, and that models my Savior who gave Himself for me. Life's not about me. When we see kids praise God, I think it encourages us to praise God. Because we see kids, uh, you know, I've seen... At VBS, we did a VBS in Watoma, and we'd always invite parents to come out for the last night. And it was like all the parents can see their kids singing the songs. And I believe there's something that softens hearts there. When you see kids praising Jesus, you say, what, what's wrong with me, <laughs> you know? Why am I not doing this? Where's my praise? If my kid can humbly praise Jesus and the Creator of the universe, why am I not? There's something powerful there. I, invite, I don't want to give too many answers away, but I invite you in your community groups to consider that question. How do kids oppose evil in the world today? How does God use them? Maybe I'll give one more. Uh, one more. I'm taking all your answers away this week. Um, I think about the fact that I've talked to people who have walked away from the faith in their 20s and they start having kids in their 30s and suddenly they're back in church. You know, Suddenly they have a family and they care about what's happening with their kids, and they want their kids to have a moral foundation, a biblical foundation, and somehow that brings them back in. I, I don't know. Kids have an effect on us that is profound, and, and just the way God designed it to be. Um, a while back, I even read a story about the son of uh, Osama bin Laden. I remember reading an article about him, I think it was in Time Magazine, and he... Uh, he was working for peace between the West and, and the Muslim community. He was working for peace. And I thought as I was reading that, you know, how cool is that? And, and, may, and may the noise the son makes outweigh the noise the father has made. Right? Kids, sometimes kids show up their parents and, and show a better way. 
So, kids oppose evil. Kids are like superheroes. <laughs> so David goes on, and now he's thinking more, and he's thinking about uh, verse 3. He says, I consider the heavens. I-, I can picture David outside here. The work of your fingers didn't take God much to put the universe into motion. He has all power in his hands. The moon and the stars which you've set into place And then he says, what is man that you're mindful of him? Why do you care about me, the son of man? A poetic way of of speaking about it. One of Jesus' favorite ways to identify himself as the son of man. What does make every human life, whether in the womb or out of the womb, what makes every human life so valuable? David provides three reasons here. Look at them with me. Number one, in verse 5, you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. Human life, unborn or born, is so valuable, first of all, number one, because God has made us a little bit lower than angels. God has made us just a little bit lower than angels. If you want to think of it like this, we could classify the beings in the universe like this. God, angels, humans, animals, plants, all the way down here. But humans are just below angels. There's a classification going on here. And humans, every single human life is valuable because it's created just below angels and far above animals. I don't know if we fully live this out in America today. I was thinking about this and how we do with the classification of people. I think I think we are really good at trying to create classifications for people. The rich, the poor, the healthy, the not healthy, the elderly, the young. And God just destroys those classifications. Now, I'm not saying that there's no classifications in the Bible. I mean, there's husband and wife. There's, there's uh, political rulers, if you read Romans. I mean, there's, there's people that rule over us that we owe honor to and they're in authority over us. I understand those kind of roles But really, we're saying there's God, there's angels, and there's people. So, what if next Sunday we had a celebrity amongst us? What if... You guys love the Packers. It was a hard night last night. But what if if Aaron Rodgers walked in and sat over here? Over here. How many of you would try to sit over here that Sunday? Just, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And would you notice the visitor if he was sitting over here? You'd say to yourself, he just needs a shoulder to cry on and I'm here, you know. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Right? Um, (laughs) I don't know. But, But I would guess you would treat him differently than maybe you would someone that you've never seen in the church before. Some of you would. No condemnation here. I'm just, just trying to point out something. I think I would. I mean, I love seeing visitors, and I love going up to greet people, but I think I'd be more tempted to meet him and say, I'm the pastor, you know, and <laughs> whatever that means. 
Um, we have celebrities in America. I once read a, uh, I think it was in the doctor's office, and I was at the cover of People magazine. I'll never forget the caption. It says, celebrities, they're just like us. What a profound comment, you know. I never would have thought that was true, you know. But they are. And yet, and yet we classify people and we think, oh, you're influential. I'll treat you differently than the person over here that, that doesn't seem to be very well off. Wrong. Wrong. And it exposes our hearts. It does. It exposes our hearts to say that we would treat people differently based on what they look like. Teenagers. You know you do this. You know there's a social hierarchy in your high schools that go, if you're athletic, if you look good, if you're a funny person to be around, you're up here. And I'm saying that is not biblical, and that is all connected to our issue with abortion, because we say the unborn have less rights. We say they're not truly people. Even though their heart's beating, it doesn't count. Okay? We have a problem in America with that. And it's all fed into this favoritism thing. James says, Brothers, as believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. He says, As believers in our Lord Jesus Christ. I think, even the way James writes that, it's like, Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, you would realize there's Jesus angels, and then people. And and that's the categories that we have here. That's it, as far as how we should treat each other. I guess what I'm really saying is, I pray that we will treat people the way God sees them, the way God treats them. Because we know if Jesus were here, he's no respecter of persons as far as, oh, you are so great. He wouldn't do that. And yet we get fed into this cycle of celebrity and who's who and who's popular and who's not. Should not be. And the unborn are the ones that suffer the most for it. They suffer the most. All right. Number two. Second reason every human life is so incredibly valuable. Verse 5, end of verse 5. You've crowned Him with glory and honor. God's glory, uh, hard to explain, you know, doxa, glory. uh, Glory is, is, it's like His beauty. It's like His majesty. It's like, All of His perfections all rolled into one. It's His glory. We think of His brightness and and, and the light that would shine on us that would almost blind us if we were to see it. Would blind us if we were to see it in all of its intensity right now. We wouldn't be able to stand there. His glory is His beauty and there's nothing like that. And this verse says, He's crowned us with glory. Number two is, the reason every human life is so valuable in the womb or out of the womb, elderly or young, The reason every life is so valuable is because God has crowned people with glory and honor. He's given us some of His glory. He's given us some of His glory. You heard that David Crowder song they play on the radio, You Make Everything Glorious, right? 
Have you thought about the implications of that? I mean, when I heard that song, I thought, wow, what is, what is David Crowder trying to say? Um, God's made everything glorious. What does that make me? What does that make me? Glorious. Not because I can make myself glorious, because he has given me glory. He's crowned me with it. What king does that? How many kings can you say in history have given glory to their people? Have opened up the, the, the treasuries to the people and said, come and partake. You get some of my glory. How many presidents give us the privileges that they themselves enjoy? Who can you name that has done that? And God has done that. God has given us glory and honor that we don't deserve, but there it is. We're made in His image. Every life is valuable because of it. There's a few verses in the Old Testament that speak to our glory. Uh, Proverbs 19.11 says, A man's wisdom gives him patience. It's to his glory to overlook an offense. There's something glorious when someone has wronged us and we're able to overlook it and forgive. Something glorious about that. There's something very godlike about that that we imitate our Father when we overlook offenses. Proverbs twenty twenty nine, the glory of young men is their strength. Gray hair, which I would take to mean wisdom, is the splendor of the old. God has filled the older generations with wisdom. Whether they're in a nursing home whether they're completely mobile and able to get around, He has made our elderly folks in this church glorious. Do we understand this? Glorious. I think in America, we tend to emphasize the strength as the most glorious aspect of people. We try to stay young. We want to look strong. We don't want the white hair. You know, We try to avoid these things that actually, as you get older still make you glorious in the sight of God. I love Daniel 4.36. I'm not sure if I gave you that in your notes, but this is Nebuchadnezzar after he's humbled by God and after he's been eating grass like an ox. And it says, At that time my sanity was restored, my honor and my splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out. I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. And he gives credit to God for this. God regave me my splendor and my honor. He gave this to me. God is the God who gives us glory. And whether or not you have strength, whether or not you have health, whether or not you're defenseless and in the womb, you've been bestowed, you've been crowned with glory. What king gives away glory the way our God does. I don't know if this story is true or not, but it really grabbed my heart. There was a professor in a world-acclaimed medical school that once posed this medical situation, an ethical problem to his students. Now, I've sat in that chair, many of you have, you know, your classes on philosophy or classes on ethics, and they say, what would you do if? Well, this is one of those scenarios. This professor said to his students, Here's your family history. Father has syphilis. Mother has TB. They've had four children. The first one was born blind. The second one died. The third one's deaf. The fourth one has TB. Now the mother's pregnant again. The parents come to you for advice. They're willing to have an abortion, but they want to know what you think. What do you say? And as the story goes, the students broke up into various groups. 
talked about it, came back together. Majority of the group said they would recommend abortion. The professor says, congratulations, you just took the life of Beethoven. Now, all that to say, we try to outsmart the process and we want to know how the baby will be born and what will be the conditions and what's going to happen. In many of those cases, I think we try to play God and figure out what we should do with this life. In many of those cases, we try to play God. And it's not up to us to say, this is, you, you need to have your sight to be glorious enough for me to keep you. It's not, it's not enough for us to say. We've been made glorious. Third reason. Third reason every life is valuable. It says in verse 6, You've made him ruler over the works of your hands. You've put everything under his feet. Flocks and herds, beasts of the field, birds of the air, fish of the sea that swim along the paths of the seas. Thirdly, the reason every human life is valuable and sacred is because we have been made rulers over creation. We try to save animals in this country that are sick. How much more should we save the life of the unborn as we can? We are rulers. We are to care for animals. That's part of our mandate. We are to care for creation. I could preach a sermon on that. But how much more are we to care for the life of every single human as best as we can? Knowing that we are supposed to be made rulers over animals. We have a role to play. Women have been given the right to bear children. Men don't have that right. We haven't been given that privilege. I'm not really complaining about that. But, um, <clears throat> but I know there's a lot to talk about women's rights to their own body. <clears throat> All I'm saying is women should rule their bodies wisely. And there is a life that is distinct from them growing inside of them that God has provided. That ought to go into this thought process. Women ought to rule their bodies well. Men ought to come, come alongside ladies and support them. <clears throat> I've read stories about ladies going to abortion clinics and hoping, hoping that the boyfriend or the husband would somehow step in and stop the whole thing. But they felt like this is what had to be. I know a story of a lady, someone that I know of, that felt like the boyfriend. It was like, we have a career, you need to abort this child. Okay, I, I, these are the things that happen. Men, we should be supporting and encouraging life and saying, whatever it takes, I will be there and I will help and we will make this work, but we are not going to get rid of this child. We will promote adoption, but we will not get rid of this child. Men have to speak up too in loving and gentle ways, but bold ways to support life. Because we've been given rulership over creation. We've been given rulership over the unborn. And even though our government is not ruling well in that matter, it doesn't absolve us of the responsibility to rule well in our spheres of influence. To say, what can I do with the area that God's been given me to influence? What can I do? Let me give you five suggestions, four or five suggestions, and then we'll close this time.
What can we do? I've given you five suggestions on the front of your, uh, um, on the back of your notes. Number one, as rulers of creation that God has given us as that right to rule well, we can support the care and adoption of orphans. There's some ladies in this church planning a trip to Ethiopia, I believe doing some uh, work in orphanages. I love that. I, love, I just talked to uh, Jen Allward about that last week. I love hearing that. We got to care for orphans. We got to promote adoption as best as we can. As you know, we're working on our adoption process as well uh, as parents of a future uh, Ugandan girl. Um, we got to promote adoption. Secondly, we can support and encourage single moms. We can support and encourage single moms. If our last word to the mother-to-be is, please don't abort your baby, and then we walk out the door, it's not enough. Okay? It's not enough. Is God pleased when we go halfway? I don't know. I don't know. To go all the way says, don't do this, don't abort your child, let us encourage you and support you and try to make this work so we can have this child adopted Let's talk to families that we know want to have children, want to adopt. We'll do what we can to support you. And if you choose to keep that child, we'll still support you. We'll be there for you. As a church, as a family. It's not enough to say, keep the child, hope everything's okay how that works out. But don't abort. That's only halfway. It's only halfway. We have to do more. Thirdly, we can aid the physical and spiritual development of at-risk youth. If we know kids that are struggling or troubled, we ought to be the ones stepping in to help. We ought to be the mentors, the big brothers and big sisters. You know, you've heard of that program. We got to do that as a church. We got to be there for kids that need that father role, that mother role in their life. We've got to do that. Maybe that's in the area of foster parenting. Maybe it's in the area of mentoring. But that is part of life. If we want mothers to keep their children, we've got to be there for them when life breaks. We've got to do that. Fourthly, we can pray against abortion in this country. Please do that. Please pray that our laws would be changed, that Roe v. Wade would be overturned. We need to pray that way, that God would do a work to promote life in this country. Fifthly, we can consider our politicians' positions on abortion. Consider who you're voting for. Consider what they stand for. Consider their morality. Because this is life and death. No one's telling you who to vote for, but you ought to keep that as one of the issues you consider. So, I want to close with Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2 also quotes this passage that we just looked at this morning, Psalm 8, and puts a wonderful spin on it. I want you to see it. Hebrews 2, verse 6. But there is a place where someone has testified, namely that would be David in Psalm 8. (laughs) What is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. In putting everything under Him, God left nothing that is not subject to Him. 
Yet at present, we don't see everything subject to him. In other words, we don't see everybody bowing down to Jesus and everything going the way Jesus would want it to go. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons, and of course he means an inclusive word there, sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should be made the author of their salvation. Make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. This Psalm 8 is about Jesus. God crowned Jesus with glory and honor. I believe it's another psalm a little bit later where it says, you put everything under his feet. Jesus is the Son of Man. We have fallen short. For those that have had an abortion, there is forgiveness in Christ. There is love from Jesus because he tasted death for you. He died on a cross for you so that you would never have to experience the pain and separation from God that He had to go through. And for the rest of you that have never even thought about abortion, we're all full of sin. And He tasted death for you too. So that you would never have to pay for your sin in hell. That is what Christ did for you. I want to invite you, if you've never asked Jesus to forgive you, to respond today. Because one day, whether you like it or not, every knee will bow. But if one day you've not accepted Christ and you die and you're forced to bow, it'll be too late then. It'll be too late after you die. Now's the time. Now's the time to receive His forgiveness. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If that's you and you're here and you say, I want to ask Christ to forgive me today. I want to pray and receive that salvation, would you look up at me this morning and we will pray together. If that is you, and you want to pray that prayer this morning, and you want to ask Christ for His forgiveness. All right. For the two of you that looked up at me, let's pray. I invite you to pray a simple prayer that means nothing unless it's true in your heart, unless it really means something and you're really putting your faith in Him. Let's pray together now. Lord Jesus, I just want to confess that I have failed You. I have not kept Your commands. I've disobeyed. I deserve punishment. And yet, I believe right now that Jesus, you died on a cross to pay the price for my sin. Jesus, right now I ask you to forgive me, to wash me clean. Right now I bow my heart before you, Jesus. It's my intention to follow you the rest of my life. Thank you for saving me. I pray this in your name. Amen.